<laughs> I think it's both. It's both. So, who here feels free to be a Christian and to live up to perhaps God's standards or what the world expects of us as Christians? Good question, eh? I'm asking myself as well. So, freedom. So, freedom, Galatians uh, 5 says it's for freedom that Jesus Christ has set us free. Lots of interpretations to that, or you can try and, and work it out. But what does it actually mean? It's for freedom that Jesus Christ has set us free. Okay, what is that freedom that he's talking about? Well, let's look at it. Last week, we um, looked at verse 2 of Philippians chapter 3. And we spoke about the warnings that Paul gave about the false prophets. He described them as dogs, as evil workers and mutilators. That's what he described them as. Dogs. Evil workers and mutilators. That was two weeks ago, not last week, my apology. But we looked at that. We spent quite a considerable amount of time lo looking at that. And then we got to um, um, this particular passage of Scripture. So what we're looking at is Philippians chapter 3, just by the way, sorry. Philippians chapter 3. And we've been looking at uh, verse 1, and today we'll be looking at um, verse 4 in particular. And um, last week we looked at uh, three distinctions or three hallmarks that kind of set us in a different pace, in a different uh, place. They set us apart from the world. Remember, we are in the world, but not of the world. And so the, the, the uh, verse 3 spoke about three distinctions that kind of point that out to us. So if you're a genuine Christian, one who has been born again, one who is saved, those words are thrown out in the Christian world, in the world actually, you are saved. What does that actually mean? Uh, part of it is that you have, there has to be fruit that is born out of your life because you are saved. And the first distinction we saw was a genuine Christian is one who worships God in the Spirit. It's one who worships God in the Spirit. And then number two, we saw that a genuine Christian is one who rejoices in Jesus Christ. Rejoices in Jesus Christ. Well, that's an interesting uh, question. Why do you rejoice in Jesus Christ? Well, because of what He has done for you and I. And the number three, a genuine Christian, one who is saved, one who is born again, we saw that is one who has no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in and the flesh. Now we spend quite a bit of time looking at this word, the flesh. 
how what it means, how it works out, how, how it applies to our lives. And we, we saw that the, the flesh actually never gets better. Your flesh, my dear friends, this morning, is a born-again Christian, is one who serves and declares that God is your Savior. Your flesh does not get better. It never improves. We also learned that our position in Christ never improves. Can I say that again? Your position in Christ does not improve because of your Christian walk. It does not improve. Our standing before God in Christ is perfect from the day that you were born again. The day that you said, yes, Jesus, be my Savior, that position became perfect. And it does not change. It does not improve. It does not get worse or get better. It is perfect. And that is why we are to rejoice in Jesus Christ. And then I made a statement and said, even after many years of godly living, you've been serving Christ for, I don't know, many, many years. This flesh is not one bit better than the day we became Christians. God can be glorified only by Christ Jesus. So your flesh, which you are working, which we have been given, does not improve. In fact, I made a statement that actually your flesh is getting Worse, because it is growing older. It is dying. That's why when we grow up, we die and we, the flesh go back, goes back to the ground. It does not improve. It does not get better. We also learned that because of, um, of the flesh, we as Christians who have been serving God for a day or two or 30 years, easily become legalistic in our um, conduct of life. And this legalism is almost um, something that is geared to diminish the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And just by way of reminder, the title of this particular chapter 3 is No Confidence in the Flesh. No confidence in the flesh. So let's look, let's look at that passage of Scripture. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 1. This is what it says. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutila mutilation. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. And then verse 4, a particular scripture for today. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. This is obviously poor writing. 
If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I more so. Another translation says it this way. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have um, reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now here in this section, we um, see that Paul gives a stirring personal testimony of his life. Testimony, testimonies, testimony of his life. He used the pronoun I 15 times. We find his testimony in Acts 9, Corinthians chapter 9, Corinthians chapter 11 and Romans chapter 7. Paul here was trying to clarify that this is the truth that he not only learned, but he lived. He had gone down this road of legalism like no one else. What I love about Paul as he writes and he encourages his friends in Philippi is he's not just writing some theoretical stuff. He's not just saying you've got to love each other or you've got you to forgive one another. He actually practices the things that he says. He says those who are preaching the word of God out of bad motives, do not worry about them. God will sort them out. God will sort them out. Then uh, we, we read in chapter 2 where he was speaking about Timothy and they're speaking about Epaphroditus. Um, he, will send some, he will send these brethren to, to Philippi to encourage them. He had confidence in them. The, the things that he spoke about and called his, his friends to were not just theory. It wasn't just an idea. He lived them out. Spoke about forgiveness, he forgave. Sp- spoke about love, he loved. Spoke about encouragement, he was an encourage, encourager. Paul turned in this particular verse to an autobiography to prove that he did not operate in the flesh. Now let me say, the flesh is not sinful. The flesh is not, it's not bad. God has given you the, your flesh. He has given it to you. You just have to be able to manage the flesh. If you don't manage the flesh, it will override. Uh, I said last week, you can, be serve, you can be born again, serving Christ for many years, but in a moment, you, you, if you allow your flesh, your flesh to take over, it can completely ruin your life, completely distort your life, because you give it power, you give it uh, almost legal right. Remember, it's, uh, we are... Uh, People of God, we've got the Spirit of God. We have, uh, with our flesh, we have um, the consciousness of the world. We, with our flesh, I know that it's either hot or it's cold. With my flesh, I know that it's not a good idea to uh, go to the beach. Not that I go to the beach much. But to go to the beach and wear maybe three coats. Because my flesh will tell me, I'm going to overheat. I know that. So the, with my flesh, I can, I can feel my surroundings. God has given us our flesh to be able to work things out, to, to experience things. 
But we have to subdue our flesh. With our flesh, we can also decide to have that affair. I made that statement. With our flesh, we can decide to steal that money. With our flesh, we can decide to love each other. With our flesh, we can do a whole bunch of either good or bad stuff. We have to be ones who are able to subdue our flesh. We have to be ones who are able to manage our flesh. God gave us our flesh to be able to walk this life in a way that glorifies Him. By choice, not by uh, a must, uh, but by choice. We decide to do that. So Paul here speaks about his life, speaks about um, um, this thing about he does not operate in, in the flesh. He listed a list of accomplishments where he could have placed his confidence in the flesh. For years, that is precisely where Paul had his trust. Now that he had come to Christ, he viewed his religious career in legalism as a pile of dung. To him, the accomplishments of legalism smelled like rubbish. In fact, even worse, they smelled like dung. So he starts off in this um, verse. Though I might, I also might have confidence in the flesh to counteract the thought that maybe, just maybe, there's something in the flesh we can trust. Paul gave himself as an example. Before he became a Christian, he made great strides in legalism. If there was ever... Um, a legalist, I'll tell you what, Paul was that before he became a Christian. And we will see what I mean by that as we carry on with this uh, chapter. You see, in the Christian life, we are often tempted to live within our spiritual resources. If you've got to be honest with yourself, we try in our own strength to live up to God's standards. We do. We lean on our prayer, prayers, our prayer life, more than we lean on God. We find ourselves that we think the more we pray, the more we pray, the more we are disciplined in praying and all these things. Uh, maybe I'm becoming better. And we forget to actually lean on God in it. The prayers are supposed to be towards God, directed to us, uh, in, uh, from us towards God so He can um, equip us and, and uh, be with us and all these things that He needs to do with us. But we forget to lean on Him. We lean more on our prayers, the activities, the legalism of you have to pray. We take courage by act, our activities. <laughs> we take courage in our Christian activities more than in God. We think maybe the more we go to church, the more prayer meetings we attend, the more uh, we do this, the more we do that within the Christian community, the closer we are to God, the closer we'll get to God. We rely on the mechanics 
of a spiritual life rather than upon God. We, we renounce sin and make firm commitments of discipline and live in our own strength. Anything and everything but God. We try ecstasy. We try self-denial. We try abstinence. We try restrictions. We try self-discipline. All to no avail. Paul was like this. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He followed these things. All to no avail. So this morning I ask you, how is your Christian life? What are the things that you're doing that you, you're thinking, the more you do those things, the closer you'll get to God? Not that they are wrong in themselves, but it's when you put your confidence in those things, it becomes wrong. Paul tried all these things. He had the opportunity to place confidence in them, but gave the flesh a vote of no confidence. I think we've been saved for many years. I want you to just go back, remember, what are the things that perhaps you have thought by doing them consistently, uh, you, you get closer to God. And as I say, not the actual, the means is not necessarily the problem. It's perhaps you believe in that that actual action is what um, is important, more than God himself. That was poor for many years. So he carries on and he says, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. See, Paul, above all, had pursued their approach to life. If anyone thinks that they impress God based on their um, religious record, they will not outpace Paul. He had an outstanding religious career. Now, in my upbringing, my Christian upbringing, um, I've watched people and how they function, and I've learned from people. But the one thing I've battled for many, many years is perhaps understanding, you know, the, the, in John it speaks, my, it says, my sheep know my voice. Sometimes I get, I get confused, not understanding God, I don't, I don't I can't, I, what, where is your voice? What is your voice like? And I mean, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I've been walking, I'm, I'm born again, I've been, I've been saved for, for many years, I've been walking with him, I, I believe I'm, I'm maturing, I believe I'm growing in him. But oftentimes, I will be caught up in a place where I'm like, I, don't, I can't hear you, I don't understand, what, I don't know your voice. And then legalism starts kicking in. I believe the more I pray, then I'll hear God. In fact, 
I pray longer, I'll hear maybe louder, I'll hear his voice again. And I fail to forget. Or I fail. I forget that it's not in the action of praying more. It's in the action of praying more to the one who gives me his voice. Praying more is not a problem. But it's the, the understanding of what the result would be. So will I pray more even if I don't hear his voice? Will I pray more because I know it's good for me to pray because I'm seeking his face? I mean, it's in Acts uh, 17 verse 26. I often quote the scripture. It says that it is, he, he has uh, dis- determined the times and places where we are to be born where we are to live. He's determined it. Not so that we can search for Him. Not that He, because He's far away, but He's close to us, but He has determined those times so we can search for Him. What is that searching? That searching is setting ourselves aside and saying, God, I do not know. I need you. I need you to help me. I need to hear your voice again. Uh, Maybe I'm confused there are lots of voices. I want to hear your voice again. I set time aside and pursue Him. Him, His heart. The challenge for us, for me and for you, is that religion, legalism, and self-effort will all fail us. They will all fail us whether you like it or not. You can, you can lie to yourself and say it will not fail you. Uh, Paul was an example. It will fail you. So we can only trust mutually exclusively in the provisions of Christ to live the Christian life. Often I, w- I would, in, in the past, I'll say to my dear wife and say, Christianity is so hard. Being a Christian is so hard. I don't understand why it's so hard. And she would rebuke me with her love and say, but it's not that hard. <laughs> it's not that hard. Jesus Christ has given us the perfect life. We look to him and he helps us live this Christian life. When we look to him and allow him to help us, then life, this Christian life becomes that much more easier. Yes, I know we're in the world. We'll be faced with all sorts of things in this world. We are are subject to the world, the, the environment around us. We cannot control those things. But we can still stand knowing that God is firm, knowing that He's consistent, knowing that He does not change. Now, It is challenging for us to come to terms with the fact that God will not accept the works of the flesh. So the works of your flesh that you try and and impress God with, God is not impressed by any of that stuff. And that's a hard statement to make and it's our statement to take. Because in our legalistic way of life, we, we, we end up going in that route. We end up going in that route. We revert to self-competence 
at the slightest bump in the road. So we walk in with God and things happen. There's a bump. Ah, then we revert to our, our strength, our own ability, rather than re- going back to God and say, oh, there's a bump. God, hold me, help me, show me, lead me, guide me. The most subtle form of legalism appears in our spiritual life, especially when there are little bumps, little things that de- uh, shake us up a little bit. We think that if we pray more, perhaps if we witness to a significant amount of people or mechanically live the spirit-filled life, we will succeed spiritually. Obviously, we cannot have a vibrant spiritual life without these means. But if we confuse means with the end calamity can come to a christian lives so easily and there's one area we need to understand one area we need to look at as we continue living this life as we continue walking and trying to live a life that is pleasing towards our King, there's an air, a distinct area we need to focus and need to identify. And this is it. We need to remember that morality is not the same as spirituality. So your moral upbringing and your moral standing is not the same as spirituality. Morality is man-orientated. Spirituality is God-orientated. Morality, I want to be nice in front of you. I want to look as though I'm a decent uh, young fella. That is morality. I'm, I'm, I, I behave. I don't lie. I, that is morality. Before you, spirituality is before God. That's when you're not around. It's when I'm alone. It's when I'm uh, in the dark. That is where it, it comes more. Remember, God, is, God loves the secret places. He says he will reward you when you, do, when you pray in the secret place. He will reward you. So he watches your secret areas. He watches where no one else sees. He watches. He's concerned about that because that is part of character building. How is your life in the secret place? How is your life um, when no one else is, is, is watching? How is your life? When no one else is watching. Now this thing about the flesh is a work in progress. And will continue being a work in progress until the day we go to our king. I made a statement again last week or the week before. This revelation I had, this realization that we are saved in three stages. There is the 
justification process, when I am saved, when I give my heart to Christ, it's done. I am made perfect before Him. Then the, the, the second stage is the sanctification, where I am walking and working out this um, salvation process. So it's a work in progress. So I used to be this way, but now I'm not. It's a pro- it didn't happen at a um, at, uh, justification process. It had to be worked out. I used to swear, for instance, like a trooper. I no longer do those things. Why? Because it's a process. It's a process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. We're being set apart. And then the third part is the glorification, where we, one day we will be fully saved. And we will, when we see Jesus Christ, we will be um, in our glorified bodies. We will see him face to face. We will have no, no more pain, no more diseases, no more... Uh, all these things that we are subject to on this earth in this sanctification process will no longer be a part of the process. Now... I heard that before, and then I've, 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 uh, this revelation just it's a, it came upon me. It's a work in progress. It's a work. In, so I, I'm not, yes, I'm perfect before God when I got justified. My standing before God is perfect. But there's a working out in this flesh. There's a working out in this flesh. Until the day that I get to glorification, there's going to always be a working out. And so one day, you're able to overcome the one thing. Then a, 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 a couple of days later, you back to square one again. It's a work in progress. And that's why we rely on Him to help us. And that's why we don't celebrate in our victories ourselves. We celebrate in Jesus' victory upon the cross in our lives that thing has set me free set me free now freedom this freedom i'm talking about is not oh no let's i'm free i can do whatever i want i'm free i'm saved it's not the same this freedom calls me to want to please him even more it it draws me to want to to bring glory to his name the things I used to battle with, and I, there's a, this, this flesh is wanting, it's wanting, man, and then I just subdue and I manage it to the glory of God my Father in Jesus Christ. It was this, um, a couple of days ago, I just had a, a reminder, a thought. Now we talk about faith. We talk about or we read about, we talk about and read about faith. And the question came upon me, and I, the question was, how do I please God? What is it that I do to please God? Yes, I come to church. Yes, I have the privilege of preaching or engaging. Yes, I get to pray. Yes, I get to interact. But how much more? How else do I please Him? And of course, in Hebrews, it speaks about the faith. Faith is that, thing that pleases God. God is pleased with our faith. But then how does that faith look like? I've heard statements that we got to, in faith, we got to do some, which I call some weird stuff, which end up, ends up putting you in bondage. But out of your faith, 
you uh, believe in for this thing in faith. And then there's other comments. Well, it's foolishness to the, the, the ones who are not saved. Some of the things that we do as Christians is foolishness to those who do not know Christ. But this word faith is something that we need to, uh, I believe, constantly go back to. God, what are you, how do I please you today, for instance? What, what, what do I need to do to, to, to bring um, glory and to, you, uh, to your holy name? What faith element in my life now do I need to have faith for so I can glorify your holy name? What are the mountains perhaps that I'm facing that I need faith for to give glory to God? What are the challenges? What are the victories? What, where, does this, where would this faith be in a way that brings glory to Him? I don't have the answer for that. It's uh, all um, particularly uh, for you. I, I don't know where your life is completely. You know where you are. You, your, your life is you, between you and God. So you know the areas of God is calling you towards faith, which will bring glory to Him. So in conclusion, for today, I ask you this question. How would you describe your Christian experiences? I asked earlier on, how many of us feel as though we are free? How, many, how would you describe your Christian experience to date? Understand what freedom, it's freedom that Jesus Christ has set us free. How many... How can you describe our Christian experience to date? It is, is it orientated to word religion and legalism? Or is it dependent upon the provisions of God? Where do you find yourself this morning? There's lots more to be said. But I'd like to just allow for us to just maybe think about the, that question. How would you describe your Christian experience to date? Is it orientated to word religion and legalism? Or is it dependent upon the provisions of God? The things that Christ has done for you and I. Do we celebrate those and live in those? Or do we try to go outside to improve upon those things that He has done for us? I can ask us to close our eyes if we are happy to do that. We will continue looking at the list of these of these. Um, legalistic ways that Paul describes in this particular um, chapter. Those things that he held on to. Just think again for a moment. What are the areas that you perhaps are trying to add on to what Jesus Christ has done for you.
one of those areas where the flesh is trying to take ownership. Father, I ask in your name that you would show us the areas where we are trying to, where legalism is setting in again or has set in again and we're trying to do it in our own strength rather than trusting you and celebrating the, the victories, the things that Jesus Christ has done already. We cannot add to those things we cannot take away from those things. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see those areas. And then, Lord, once you've shown those areas to us, you help us, Father, to give them back to you. Help us, Father, not to take them back, but to give them back to you so you can be glorified in them. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. And I thank you, Father, for your love. I bless your holy name. In Jesus' strong and mighty name I pray. Amen.